so good to see you all this morning. And uh, as I said at the start, we're going to start a new series on resurrection stories. So we have had an incredible time over Easter. And I just have to say before I start, happy Ukrainian Easter this morning as well. So <laughs> and we celebrate with you too. And although it's a different timing, we do celebrate. And we continue to celebrate Easter because Jesus is alive. I think half the church think Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He was alive yesterday. He's alive today. And he's still alive tomorrow. And that gives us so much hope and life. And I think this morning that as we take a time over these next few weeks to unpack these resurrection stories, looking at the events and the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, and then going through to Ascension Day and then celebrating Pentecost. We are a Pentecostal church, and we're really excited about that. So as we journey through these resurrection stories, we're going to take ourselves right the way through to Ascension Day and Pentecost and really celebrate um, on Pentecost Sunday. So the celebrations don't end at Easter. In fact, the best part is yet to come, I think, in many ways, where the disciples are empowered to go out and to preach the gospel, you know, as we look at resurrection stories and as we look at these appearances, I really believe that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you. If you have asked Jesus into your life and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives within you. And I really believe that God wants to empower his church through these resurrection stories to remind you that he is with you and that his Holy Spirit wants to come upon you and dwell within you. So I really want you to come really open and ready. If we look at the events of the resurrection, we'll go back to find these accounts in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in Luke 24, and in John chapter 20. Oh, that's a bit better, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I can even hear it myself. Um, so you can go and look at that in your Bible, the different accounts from um, the Gospels that unpack the resurrection stories. And when we just look at what happened on Resurrection Sunday and the events that followed, I mean, this was an incredible time. This was an incredible time to be a disciple of Jesus and just to be alive and be around. I mean, there were no two days that were the same. And when you look at the events straight after, Jesus comes out of the grave early on Sunday morning. Well, it might not have been a Sunday, but on the third day, he rose from the grave. We celebrated it last Sunday. And some of the women who loved Jesus and had served Jesus, they go to the tomb. And as they get there, they find the stone is already rolled away. Jesus is no longer in the grave. And then two masculine figures that are angels, shining garments, tell the women, he is not here, he is... Let's try it again. He is not here, he is risen. So we celebrate that and we talk about it all the time. But the impact of that on those women in that day... Like, they were just like, I think they were absolutely shocked, frightened. They'd just seen these two angels. Jesus isn't in the tomb. What's going on? And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, who's Mary, the mother of James, and some of the other women go and rush back and tell these things to the apostles. And Peter then is full of excitement. He's like, whoa, something's happened. And he runs all the way back to the tomb. He looks inside, and he sees that Jesus' grave clothes are neatly folded in the tomb. John goes with him. He takes a look in as well, and he's like, that's true. That's happened. And Mary Magdalene also follows them. Now, she is like deeply troubled by this because she's like, who has taken my Lord? Who's taken the Savior? Who's taken my Savior? And she is crying. She is so upset. 
And at this point then, she has that experience with the gardener, who we know is Jesus. What an incredible encounter. And it's really important to note that that happened to a woman. It was women that Jesus first appeared to. And they were like the lowest in society at that time. So the fact that Jesus chose those that were marginalized, those that were seen to be kind of behind the scenes, he chose to appear to them first. I think that's so much hope for all of us, isn't there? Even just in that moment and who Jesus chose to appear to. The disciples at this point, they're really filled with joy. But I imagine there's lots of uncertainty going on as well, as we know. Some of them couldn't believe it. Jesus is not in the grave. Others wondered, how is this possible? Rumors begin to spread throughout Jerusalem and Jesus' body is missing. Jesus of Nazareth, his body is missing from the tomb. Had someone taken his body? Did the disciples steal his body? Was Jesus truly resurrected? Was Mary mistaken? So many questions. And at this point, on the same day, Jesus is resurrected early in the morning. Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus could have done many, many things immediately after his resurrection. Like, just, just put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment, which I know is a massive thing to do. But if you were Jesus, in that moment, in our own kind of earthly understanding, in our own kind of way of thinking, what would you do? If you're looking at it from a natural point of view, he could have appeared to the highest court in the land. He could have gone and appeared to Rome in Caesar. I'm alive. He could have appeared to the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. He could have appeared in the temple and showed the priesthoods and the Levites that he was indeed who he said he was. But what does Jesus do? Really interestingly, Jesus spends a massive portion of his first day as resurrected king simply walking down a road with two unknown people, disciples. And we don't really know very much about these two disciples, but Jesus chooses, of all the things that he could do, he chooses to go down the road with these two disciples. Um, One had the name Cleopas, which we believe might be a relative of Jesus. But we don't really know much about them. We don't even know the other one's name. Could have been a man, could have been a woman. But what does Jesus do? He chooses to go on this walk with these two people. Why would he choose to do that? Why would Jesus choose to just go on a walk on his first day as resurrected king? Well, I want to unpack that a bit this morning. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read from verse 13 to 34 together about this encounter on the road to Emmaus. And it says this, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, They were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. 
our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from a group of his followers went to the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. And Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing the road to they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, "Stay the night with us, since it is getting late." So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And when, within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them and said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Jesus could have appeared in a powerful form to large gatherings of people. He could have shown the scars on his hands and feet and the place where the sword had been pierced in his side. He could have gone out to multitudes and shown them all at once that he was alive. But what does he choose to do? We have two followers of Jesus walking along the road, following the news of the resurrection. They had literally been through three of the most traumatic, overwhelming, incredible roller coaster ride three days of their lives. You know, Emmaus was a seven-mile road journey, so they had two and a half hours just walking with Jesus, not even knowing that it was Jesus they were walking with. <laughs> you know, they're talking about everything that happened. They didn't even realize that Jesus has joined them. And as I reflected on this afresh, I just thought, why? Why would Jesus choose to spend all this time with two fairly ordinary people walking along the road for two and a half hours why would he do that? And every time I reflect on it, I just come back to Jesus as a personal Jesus. He wants relationship with us. He wants to come alongside us and walk with us. And I really believe that this Road to Emmaus story has got so many parallels to how Jesus wants to journey with us. And this morning, Jesus wants to join you on your journey. Jesus wants to join you on your journey. Like everybody at that time, these um, people, they're talking about all the things that had happened over the Passover week. You know, we understand that they must have been associated with the disciples to have so many of these stories. They'd heard about what had happened at the tomb. They're reflecting on all these things. Maybe they were part of the 70 um, followers that went out and spent quite a bit of time with Jesus. They're connected enough with the disciples. they had heard all of these different things. But yet, they still can't believe it. You know, there are many, many people like that today, aren't there? People who have heard of Jesus, people who even know the Easter story, people who celebrate all the different things that we celebrate, but yet they hear about it and they know it, but they don't yet believe. They have no personal revelation. 
one of the things that we also notice as they're walking along and they're journeying, that we also see how they're feeling in this moment. Jesus joins them and, and he asks them, like, what are you talking about so intently? And they, they stop in their tracks and they say, you must be the only person in the whole of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened. They're like, where have you been? I think Jesus must have had a really hard job not to smile um, or not to show any sense of uh, being aware of things. But he's Jesus and he has an incredible way of revealing himself to us. And as they're discussing with Jesus, they're sad. They're disappointed. It says the sadness is written across their faces. I don't know about you, but maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and for some of you in your journey of life and in the road that you find yourself on right now, you're walking through sadness and disappointment. Maybe you can relate to these two followers who really they, they are walking and, and they're really sad. They don't understand what's just happened. You know, there are moments when you can be having a conversation with somebody and in a couple of minutes, just by initiating that first point of conversation, you can just tell that there's something that they're carrying. There's a sadness and a heaviness. Sometimes when we're suffering loss, family and friends who pass away, job loss, maybe even it's family feuds, divorce touches your life, or your children get involved in things that they shouldn't. Maybe it's abuse, addiction, and other pain that can touch our lives, and we carry this deep sadness within us. These disciples, they're sad because they've had their hopes dashed. It says in Luke 24, verse 21, we had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah that would rescue Israel. We had hoped. And what they meant by this is they were hoping that Jesus would become the political leader who would once again bring Israel into prominence and that they would throw off the shackles of Rome and all that that had brought to the Israelite people. They were hoping. But now their hope is gone. It's past tense. We were hoping. You know, we were hoping speaks volumes to us today, doesn't it? Maybe you can relate to that this morning. We were hoping that our marriage would get better, but we're losing that hope. We were hoping that the CT scan wouldn't show what it did, but hope seems gone now. I was hoping that I would be with someone by now. We were hoping that our finances would be better. We were hoping that our kids wouldn't be rebellious. I was hoping that this job would be the one that I would really enjoy. We were hoping that he would overcome addiction. I was hoping to be further on in life right now. And the list could go on. But can I remind you this morning that God is a God of hope. Hope doesn't have to die this morning because we have a living hope through Jesus Christ. You know, he is alive today. His name is hope. His presence is hope. His hope isn't just for this life, but it's a life for the life to come. The life that we have right now, it's just a shadow. It's just a moment. It says it, it describes it in the, in the Bible as a vapor because Jesus brings hope into the next life when we decide and choose to follow Jesus when we accept him as our Lord and Savior we have hope for eternity we have hope that we will spend eternity with Jesus so whatever this life brings because every road has difficulties you know our journey as Christians is not always going to be easy it's going to have ups and downs it's going to have difficult moments but one thing I know for sure is that the hope we have in Jesus it is the anchor for our souls 
It is a hope that doesn't disappoint. It's a hope that goes beyond the grave. It's a hope that is eternal. And it's a hope that we can totally and 100% be secure in this morning. I don't know if you believe that this morning. Some of you, I think, are getting it. But we have hope in Jesus. It's a living hope that we need to remember day after day after day. Because there are disappointments that come. There are things that happen in our life that bring us sadness. And so often we become people who we had hope. Or we were hoping that. Or I had hoped. Do you know, even in the darkest of situations, even in the most painful things that we walk through, we can know that we have a hope that holds us secure. We have a hope that is permanent. We have a hope that sustains us because of our hope in Jesus Christ. And you know, this morning, if you need encouragement, if you're there saying, actually, I am in one of those we were hoping that moments, can I encourage you, the first place that Jesus will always point us to when we are searching for hope is through his word. Jesus doesn't just want to walk on your journey with you this morning. He wants to point you to his word. The two followers of Jesus, they go on to tell each other all about who Jesus is. They talk about him as a prophet, a miracle worker, a mighty teacher, the Messiah, the rescuer. I wonder what other words we could add to that. This morning we often sing Waymaker and declare those words um, to each other, don't we, as we sing, light in the darkness. You know, we talk and we sing and we, and we speak these words out, but do we believe him this morning? These, these disciples are journeying and they're starting to talk about who Jesus is. And I just get this impression, as Jesus is walking with these two, he's just itching to put them right on a few things. Like, I don't know, two and a half hours with two people that seemingly don't really know an awful lot. He must have been thinking, oh, dear me, I need to sort them out. So he does. He starts to put them straight on a few things. And they had lots of questions. They didn't get it. They didn't know why the Jewish leaders had put him to death. They didn't understand that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus was all part of God's plan. They hadn't really looked at the Old Testament scriptures, and they hadn't had a grasp on them. They needed the scriptures to be explained. And so what does Jesus do? He takes them on the most like, epic Bible study on that two-and-a-half-hour walk that they'd ever probably ever been through. And by the end of it, there was no question about it, that they had a better understanding of all that had happened. Can I remind you this morning that God is not put off by your questions? He will always point you to his word. And I know we often say this from the front, but genuinely, open the book. It's there with so much advice and guidance. Don't leave it on the shelf. You need to open the word of God. And if you're finding it hard and thinking, I don't even know where to start, just start with the Gospels. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just those incredible stories of Jesus, journeying with Jesus, finding out who he was and what he did. That's a great start point. Find a Bible plan. Get a Bible app on your phone and just start to read it. And again, we say this a lot, but house groups are a great place to start. Well, you can open up the Bible together and wherever you're at, however much you know or don't know, or even if you just are like, I'm just picking my Bible up off the shelf and dusting it off. Just beginning to open it and talk about it with people. Ask questions. Don't be afraid. Bible study on a Wednesday. You can come in the morning. You can come on Zoom. Again, an opportunity where it's not just listening to 
Gareth talking, it's interactive. People throw in all sorts of questions about all sorts of things. But that's how we learn and that's how we grow together. So can I challenge you today? Jesus wants to point you to his word, but you've got to open it. You've got to take that responsibility of saying, well, I want to know more about God's word. I want to understand things a bit more. Well, actually open it. Can I encourage you, you as well? Bring it to church. Bring your Bible to church. Yes, the words are up on the screen, but there's something that happens when you open your Bible and you start to go, oh, yeah, I can see how that links together. If you've got a study Bible, there'll be notes and things along the side and you start to unpick things even better. You might even find one Sunday, God prompts you with an encouraging verse with somebody else. If you've got your Bible, it kind of helps to kind of have that there so you can share what that with somebody else. But bring your Bibles along. Let's get into the Word of God because God... Jesus wants to point you to his word, and God has so much revelation for us right there. Then we go on, and we see that Jesus is waiting for an invite. You see, by the time they get to Emmaus, it's dark. And I love the way, in the NLT version, it puts it. Jesus acts as if he was going on. So they're walking along, and he's like, oh, just like see... I'm just going to keep walking a little bit and see what happens. And then they're like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> come, come and stay the night with us. They're like hanging on his every word by now. They've just had this like incredible Bible study. And they're like, oh, we just want more. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting or around someone. You're just like, you just want to hear the next story. I know like it's that feeling as well when you've got children and you go somewhere really special. You're with a family that they haven't seen for a while. And they're just begging you to stay that bit longer. Well, this is what these disciples are doing to Jesus. They're like, can you come and stay with us? We just want to spend a bit more time with you. And I just think that's incredible that in that moment, Jesus isn't saying like, oh, you know, can I stay the night? He's just waiting for their invitation. He waits for them to invite him in. You know, Jesus is waiting for your invitation today. He never forces himself upon us. He never pushes his way into our lives, but he's waiting for you, and he's waiting for me this morning. It says this in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. There's a famous painting, which I know you think we've shared this before, but just reminded me of this again. Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And if you look at this painting, you see that a door is overgrown with thorns and thistles. It's like the person's never actually opened the door to Jesus. Sometimes I think a lot of us can be like that. I can't open the door to Jesus. My life's a mess. I don't want him to see what's going on behind my door. When Holman Hunt painted this picture, people said, oh, it's a great painting. But someone pointed out to him, oh, um, I think you've made a mistake. Oh, he's like, oh, what mistake have I made? Look at the door. There's no handle. And he replies, that's not a mistake. There is a handle, but it's on the inside. Because the only way that someone can get in is if the person on the inside opens the door. And that's what Jesus does for us. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't made that decision, he's not going to push his way into your life. But he's there just gently knocking. 
That might just be through an experience that you have coming to church or a conversation you have with someone. And you just get a sense in your heart that, oh, there's something about that that is just touching my life right now. And Jesus is just knocking on that door. And he's saying, will you let me in? You know, it doesn't matter how messy our lives are. It doesn't matter what that looks like on the inside. Because Jesus wants to come in. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to get to know you. And Jesus is knocking on our door this morning. What I love is that when Jesus comes into our lives, we can know that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have everything together. Because Jesus went to the cross for our sin, for your sin, for my sin, for the times that we mess up, for the mistakes that we've made. And because he went to the cross and he took away our sin and our shame, he paid the price for us. So that he could come into our lives and clear away the mess, help us to sort out those things that need to be brought back to wholeness again. And because he became sin, we can become right with God. Isn't that incredible this morning? If we know Jesus, he's taken our sin and he has made us right with God. All we have to do is open that door and invite him to come in. And the fourth thing that Jesus wants to do is he wants to open our eyes. To put it another way, Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. And I love what happens next in the story in Luke chapter 24 verse 30. As I sit down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Now just remember that they have invited him to their house. At this point, they still don't know who Jesus is. But these two disciples have invited him to their house. So customarily, Jesus is the guest. They don't know that it's Jesus yet. So here he is in the house, and he is the one taking the bread and serving it. But shouldn't that be clear past always, friend? After all, they're the host. But yet Jesus takes the bread. He takes on the role of leadership. When we invite Jesus into our lives, when we open the door to him, he comes into our lives and he takes leadership. When we allow him to lead us, it changes the way we do things. It should change the way that we live our lives when we allow Jesus to lead us. The guests become the hosts. The guest becomes the host, and Jesus does something that he's done numerous times before in the presence of his followers. He takes the bread, and he gives it to them, and then this is the moment of revelation. Suddenly, their eyes are open, and they recognize it is him. And then, at that moment, he disappears. I mean, you're having a meal with Jesus. You know it's Jesus, and suddenly, he breaks the bread. Then you're like, whoa, it's Jesus, and then he's gone. You must be sitting there thinking, whoa, what just happened? I mean, how crazy would have that day been for those followers? Just think about it for a minute, right? They wake up early in the morning to find that these women have seen Jesus, the grave is empty. The disciples are running around wondering what on earth has happened. They're walking back home to Emmaus, and then this person turns up and starts giving them the greatest Bible study that they've ever had. And they're just thinking, and he's not even heard about what's happened, what's going on. And then they invite him to his house 
And suddenly in this moment, they re the revelation comes. You know, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation about this. If you study it, could it have been that they talked with the disciples that had been at the Last Supper and they'd heard about Jesus and how he broke the bread? And that's how this revelation came. Maybe they had been there when um, he'd fed the 5,000. They'd seen him break bread there and something inside them just triggered, oh, this is actually Jesus. Maybe they were part of the 70 who'd spent a lot of time in Jesus's presence but whatever it was whatever it was that in that moment brought that revelation their eyes are opened and you know in that moment they must have just been thinking it was Jesus all the time he was talking to us and he told us all these things and suddenly the penny drops and do you know what as that re re as that realization of the resurrection hits these two followers it's like full force suddenly if jesus is alive there is no time to waste we've got to get back to jerusalem we've got to tell everyone what's just happened if jesus is alive then everything we believe is true if jesus is alive then death has been defeated if jesus is alive then heaven is more than just a dream if jesus is alive then our sins are really forgiven if jesus is alive then all the promises of his word are true if jesus is alive then we will never be alone ever again amen you know that wasn't just a revelation to over 2000 years ago that revelation is for each of us today jesus is alive there is no time to waste Jesus is alive, so everything that he said must be true. If Jesus is alive, then death has been defeated. If Jesus is alive, then heaven is more than just a dream. If Jesus is alive, our sins are truly forgiven. His promises are true, and we are never going to be alone ever again. And then the followers do this as they review their day. I mean, what an incredible day. Luke 24, verse 32, they say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? The key that unlocked their ability to recognize Jesus' words was that it always had an effect on their hearts. It always had an effect on their inner hearts. There was something that changed about those moments when they spent with Jesus, they recognize, they look back and go, didn't our hearts burn? When Jesus spoke, it changed. When Jesus spoke, something incredible happened within them. You know, today, maybe there have been moments even in this service, and we spent time in God's presence, and you're just like, God, you just spoke to me in that moment. You touched my heart. Maybe there's challenges that come sometimes, and I don't always like it, but something of like heat rises within us because we know that God is on our case. I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus wants to touch our hearts and change our lives forever. I'm going to get the band to come up and we're going to finish our time together in just a moment. But Emmaus Road, it isn't just a journey for 2,000 years ago, but it's one that we are all on and I believe that this account of this resurrection story is there to remind us this morning that Jesus wants to join us on our journey. Jesus wants to point us again to his word. Jesus is waiting for you to invite him in. And Jesus wants to open your eyes this morning. I'm going to take a few moments just to reflect and to pray together. So, 
I'll just encourage you to think about those four things for a few moments. And today, you might be on your journey in life right now, wondering what's really going on. Maybe you've been feeling empty or lost, worried or afraid. Can I remind you this morning that Jesus wants a relationship with you? He cares about you. He loves you and he's walking alongside you today. For some of you, you probably don't even realize it, but Jesus is already on your journey. And as you spend time getting to know him, as you spend time being around other people who know Jesus, there's something that just rubs off onto you. Jesus is just waiting for your invite this morning to open the door and invite him in. All we have to do is ask him to come into our lives. Just like the followers invited Jesus into their home. He wants to come into your home, into your life today. And I just want to encourage you that if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to pray this prayer in your heart, just inviting Jesus to come and be part of your life. And I can encourage you to do that today. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you want to journey with me. Today I open the door and I invite you to come into my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I know there's things that I have done wrong in my life. Please will you forgive me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that because you died for me, I can be made right with God and I can know life in all its fullness through the power of your resurrection. I give my life to you today. I ask you to come and to fill me with your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for me. Amen. I just encourage you while we're praying that if you prayed that prayer this morning, to tell the person that you came with, if that was a recommitment today, if that's the first time you've prayed that prayer, just tell the person next to you before you go, or come and see one of us at the front, and we'd love to talk with you further and unpack that further. But this isn't just a journey for those that don't know Jesus, it's a journey for all of us. So as we go into our final worship song together, can I encourage you that as you stand, stand and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you. Jesus, I want to you to journey with me. Whatever it is that you're facing this morning, those difficult journeys, those times of sadness, those times where hope has been lost, Jesus is saying, I am walking alongside you. And he wants to bring fresh revelation through his word. He wants to open your eyes to what he is doing in your life right now. And can I encourage you this morning, as we finish and as we worship together, to remember that Jesus is with you. He is for you. And he's never left you. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's stand up and we're going to finish worshipping together.